Oh no, the DC relaunches trapped the Amazing Spider-Man classes gang in 1998 while they were looking at the Amazing Spider-Man reboot. Last episode, they reviewed the Amazing Spider-Man, and this episode will be Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and Web Spinners. Will they be able to get back to their regular reviews of Classic Spidey? Find out in this episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Hey, guys. Okay, we are back to look at Peter Parker's Spider-Man number one, The New Beginning. It was released on November 18th. This is, of course, volume two, number one. And Donovan Grant is going to tell us all about it. Peter Parker's Spider-Man, The New Beginning, first spectacular issue. The cover image is a John Romita Jr. drawn Spider-Man on a big web over a bunch of buildings. It's actually not very too extravagant, more extravagant than that. It's just sort of an image and uh, this issue is written by Howard Mackey, illustrated by John Romita, and inked by Scott Hanna. And the title of the comic is a lie, because Peter Parker is not Spider-Man. But again, it's like, if these series aren't about Spider-Man, then why are they called Spider-Man? They're both about Peter, but they're called Spider-Man. They should be Peter Parker watching Spider-Man, and, and Peter, Parker, Peter Parker watching The Amazing Spider-Man. It should be, instead of Peter Parker colon Spider-Man, it should be Peter Parker comma Spider-Man. Like, and. <laughs> Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Peter Parker, in parentheses, oh yeah, and Spider-Man. Peter Parker's girlfriend, Lois Lane. <laughs> Peter Parker's pal, Spider-Man. <laughs> Peter Parker's friend, Betty Brand. Okay. Spider-Man cross-dresses and has to marry Lois, and then goes to a planet and becomes stretchy, and then a turtle, and never mind. <laughs> so, we uh, we start off things with Peter Parker at, a, at the scene of a prisoner breakout. Uh, these armored... Armored villains called the Agents of Anarchy are breaking out this character called the Ranger, who, as Peter is describing through the information from the police scanner that he somehow heard, is an international terrorist. He takes pictures of the scene and is watching Spider-Man fight the Agents of Anarchy, and but soccer blue, he's not he's Spider-Man, or at least he was. So the readers are left wondering who this new character is. Peter is watching and he's sort of not really getting to the moment. He's really just dodging all the, the flying villains in his way. And he even takes a picture of Spider-Man as he's, and Spider-Man's knocked on his butt. When the Ranger starts to escape and Spider-Man uh, runs after him, the cops start to uh, set upon Peter and say, like, what are you doing? How'd you get past the uh, the police line until Betty Brant saves the day by saying her name is Betty Brant and she'll write a bad report on them in the Daily Beagle if they don't let him through. So Betty and Peter walk back to the Daily Beagle where Be- Betty turns in her story where J. Jonah Jameson completely manhandles it and has the banner headline reading spider-man and accomplice in terrorist escape obviously this is not true and everyone in the entire world can see this but jonah's not having any of it and he says if, if betty cannot agree with his editorial policy she can hit the road it's funny it says james james is not actually the editor he's the publisher 
And this is reminded by Rob. He says, oh, don't worry. I'm the editor-in-chief, so... He says that now! <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not, not two minutes ago. Go go ahead. No, he, he just watches uh, Jameson act like a douche and like says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Oh, that's for nothing. I'll handle everything, because I'm Robbie Robertson. So, okay. <laughs> Peter gets a page on his beeper... So this this uh, this comic is trying very hard to be with the times with this modern technology, and is worried about his aunt May. We cut to Chicago where we see Senator Stuart Ward, who has been mentioned earlier in the issue as an up and coming presidential candidate, uh, overseeing the window in his hotel room. When suddenly Kirby Crackle from a picture in his room says that people have died because of you and he could have stopped it from happening. The crackle uh, sparks are all around the room until Senator Ward yells for it to shut up, and as he throws his glass of alcoholic content at it his armed bodyguards with armed like submachine guns and silenced pistols and everything bust through so we know definitely something's up with the senator back at new york city aunt may is not answering the phone at home so peter starts to worry and against all reason jumps and jumps across the rooftops as he used to as spider-man he gets back he gets back into his uh, posh apartment to find that Aunt May is alive and well and that she was worried about him because as we all know he's such a frail and Weak, weakling of a boy. Peter's happy when Aunt May tells him that Mary Jane will arrive a few days early from her photo shoot, and Aunt May tells him not to get riled up because he's a weakling. And we never get tired of this. The next day at JFK International Airport, Peter meets with Jill Stacy to meet Mary Jane. Mary Jane is surrounded by a bunch of guards who they wonder what the big deal is, and then they realize it's actually Senator Ward coming off the airplane. But Peter sees a man lurking in the shadows, and is revealed to be the ranger again, running after Senator Ward, saying that he will pay for whatever he has done. Peter starts flashing back to Amazing Fantasy 15, which and starts to exposit his origins for being Spider-Man yet again. When all of a sudden, just as just as he's about to do something, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man from the last issue and earlier in this issue, jumps in to, into the fray to save the day. A battle ensues. And at one point, Spider-Man is knocked down, and the Ranger is just about to take down Senator Ward. Peter knocks out the Ranger. He doesn't knock out the Ranger, but he strikes at the Ranger, holding back some strength so he doesn't give away that he has superpowers. Spider-Man comes out and starts beating on the Ranger into submission. And as Peter describes, Spider-Man is acting totally irrational, like an embarrassed kid lashing out at a bully. Spider-Man realizes that Peter is staring at him and says, you'll be sorry. You'll all be sorry. Stop following me. So yeah, that's, that's certainly something to raise your eyebrow at. Or <laughs> even both eyebrows, I would say. Or all three eyebrows. <laughs> da, da, da. It just, just alternate them. Uh, Spock style. The police arrive and the Senator is safe and the Rangers taken down. Mary Jane is, is proud that Peter didn't jump into as, as Spider-Man himself. Peter can't help wondering what the connection is between Senator Ward and the Ranger. And his hunch is that whatever it will be, he will not like what he finds. Okay, the end. Okay, so I had a few notes on this, but I'll let y'all go first. Josh, did you like this more or less than The Amazing Story? Uh, I liked it more than The Amazing Story. It didn't have as many pitfalls as The Amazing Story had. It certainly had its moments like okay like small plot holes but uh peter was supposed to be with betty to take the photos of senator ward robbie assigned them to do it together and when they're picking up mary jane at the airport he casually mentions oh yeah betty must be there getting ready to do her interview um wasn't peter supposed to be a part of that okay you know uh 
just like little notes and inconsistency like that. Um, when Peter takes we, the we, picture, we, we, we could explain that as Betty Brandt is asking the same question: Why didn't Peter come with her? Then show that on the page. Yes, they they should show it on the panel, but it's poss- it, it is it is no prizable. Yeah, we, 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 we don't say like it's like an amazing where, you know, it's like, well, maybe Jonah wants his old job back. Like we as readers shouldn't be like there's show and not tell. But then there's not showing anything at all. Like it's being too vague and, and not. And if it's too vague, that takes the reader out of the, the story and just waste time. I know it sounds like I'm being picky here because I get on them for exposition, but then when they don't ex- exposit enough, it's – but, like, this is just – the beginning when Peter – Peter that. at the beginning of the issue is an idiot. Spider-Man is trying to stop a, st- a terrorist from escaping, so what does Peter do when not all of these, like, armored guys are down? Peter – goes right up to Spider-Man's face and takes a picture with a flashbulb in his face, which should, by all accounts, temporarily blind Spider-Man. Well, at least he got a good picture of Spider-Man. But wait, he's so close to his face that Peter probably got a picture of Spider-Man's nose, which Jonah will not be able to use. So Peter got a picture, which absolutely, which is absolutely worthless, and he's temporarily blinded Spider-Man so that this terrorist can now escape. You know, well, well, well done. I, I, I hope that doesn't sound too too negative, but I mean, look, what is the point? <laughs> well, look look, look it, at it. it. <laughs> well, okay, okay, I, because you are so mad. Like, Peter does this, and the, for the story reasons, it's to differentiate what you are used to seeing Peter Parker do. Instead of helping this Spider-Man, who is a rookie, he takes a picture of Spider-Man, who is knocked down, for money to that's 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 done for story reasons to illustrate the difference between the here and now and what used to, what you're used to seeing in this in the context of the story it's it's not great for peter because but he is trying so hard not to jump into it that i th- i think that that's that's one of the one something he would think to do instead of like help help him up up on his feet or whatever he just takes a picture it's not 100 percent intelligent but there it's not pointless either i got a kick out of the fact that he was grading spider-man like, he doesn't know who the Spider-Man is, but he's just sitting there taking pictures, watching him work, and the whole time he's like, you know, how he would do it compared to how this Spider-Man is doing it. Um, I mentioned this, quote-unquote, off-air, but we, we joked about in the old issues how Aunt May was always trying to, like, you know, stop the, you know, Brant and Parker romance. So it's funny that, like, years later, the second that Peter agrees to go out to coffee with uh, Betty Brant, the second that he does, uh, his pager goes off because of Aunt May. And then when he goes there, she's like, oh, my, I didn't mean to page you. I don't know how to work these things. And she's like smiling slyly. Ha ha ha. Betty Brent will never have coffee with my Peter. We get more of the whole Jonah and Robbie stuff here. And I, I don't have anything more to say about it that I didn't say last issue, except, you know, hey, you know, where's Robbie the jump in and defend? At the end, Peter says that he has a hunch that he's not going to like what he finds about the Senator Ward mystery. Something tells me that as the readers, we won't like it either. I'm, I'm going to guess that, like with the Scorpion, we're never going to get a satisfying conclusion to the Senator Ward stuff. But you don't have now, any you don't have any faith in Howard Mackey at all, do you? I, I I don't. I'm jaded. But I did like the scene at the airport where, like, MJ practically tackles Peter. And Jill is, like, amused at first, like, oh, come on, guys. You ever see a supermodel in love? And then Jill's like, OK, this is still going on. I'm embarrassed. I thought that that was a funny moment. And I would totally ditch the Senator Ward interview to have Mary Jane wrap her legs around my waist. Yes. And you would also totally have the writer of the plot explain it. 
Going back a little bit, though, we did get a clone reference there on page uh, five or six, and I kind of like that they still make that running gag where every time he sees another Spider-Man, he thinks it's a clone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Clone Saga, It's they're kind of trying to wash their hands of it a little bit because it's been years, but they'll still make the sly references to it. I mean, we were having been supporting cast members, you know, like, appear in Sensational up until recently, and... Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's not like Ben Riley's ever going to be forgotten, you know, because he played such an integral role in the books. He was headlining the books for a while. So you can't just, you know, wash that away like it never happened. I feel like, you know, when we look back on this decade, you know, a decade from now, that the Ben Riley clone saga is going to sort of be the icon of 90s Spider-Man. And there's no way that Marvel's ever going to try to wash that away. Why would they? Why would they? It it was such a huge part of his history. I did think that Betty Brant was a bit of a badass when she was telling off the NYPD. It was sort of, it's almost like they're trying to turn her into a Lois Lane, which I kind of like. Ever since she became a reporter, that's kind of been like the thing. Like, it's it's kind of like she's taken Ned Leeds' place, like, in the Spider-Man narrative, because for a while, before Ben Yurk was created, Ned Leeds was the go-to reporter whenever you were working on a story or something. And now that Ned's gone, and, you know, if Ben Yurk doesn't really fit, like, you know, the narrative as well, they'll use Betty Brandt, and it, it, it's, it's a different role for her, and, you know, surprising to say, I actually, I actually like that. You know, don't make her too much of a carbon copy of Lois Lane, but it, it works for the stories, and it worked for the stories that they did right before this reboot. I, I, I liked that Aunt May was too, saying she's too old for pagers and call waiting. I thought that was typical Aunt May. I, I realize that that's the kind of humor that a lot of people were glad to be done away with whenever she was dead, but it is it is kind of classic Aunt May. Well, I just I, 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 I think it's funny because I have a cell phone now and just wait till Aunt May has to deal with cell phones. Well, well call say, waiting is complicated. I always screw it up. Well, you say this is typical classic Aunt May. We have another. We have another godforsaken reference. Anna, dear, let me call you back. I think Peter to me. You know how delicate he is. After she tells him that Mary Jane's coming home, he's like, "Yes, settle down, Peter. You know how frail you are." I mean, again, every single time I see this, it's like, do we really need her to be brought back to life? Because next time I go to my shop, I want to ask somebody, or or go to my store. Near the spinner rack. I'm going to ask about it. Did anybody miss this? Did anybody miss having our hero just berated by this by this older woman who's completely like tw- two centuries out of out of date with reality? He cannot I, say, "Hooray, uh, my wife is alive!" Without uh, my, my wife is coming home without like you know his aunt being afraid that if he says "yay" too hard, he might have a heart attack. And aunt May had grown out of this a bit. In the 80s and early 90s before she was killed. I mean, she wasn't as bad. It feels like they've brought back 1965 Aunt May. Exactly. It, it feels as though they they popped out uh, the newest copy of uh, Amazing Spider-Man's Essential One with its uh, uh, black and red back. Uh, <laughs> Somebody board. read the Essential of Spider-Man in the Masterworks and said, oh, that's Aunt May. Let's do that. Well, that's the thing, though. You do not define a character by their earliest appearance. You define the character by... Ha- <laughs> This, this is preachy, but you define a character by how that early experience evolved through time and that some of their experiences are now. And yeah, Aunt May's old, and how how long was I, – I forgot how long she was supposed to be uh, uh, kidnapped by Osborne, but seriously, it's – It's I, like, Don, if, if I met you when you were 22, I wouldn't treat you like the nine-year-old Don I'm talking to now. I would treat you like 22-year-old Don and who you've become. Yeah, yeah, you you would make a lot of sexual references, and you know you would 
talk 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 about girls that I would I would understand the jokes because I'll be older as opposed to now where you guys just wait until I'm out of the room. It it will be different. It will be different. I, 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 I can just hear like you know adult Donovan screaming sex. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know what sex is. So I I can't imagine myself ever doing that. Yeah, girls are icky. I understand. You'll learn. <laughs> what do you what do you get? What you get? You get you, you get what I'm saying there. Right? I mean. You said you enjoyed the fact that she didn't like uh, the cell phone thing, and I, I thought that was cute. But just how she regards Peter makes that me. That I can do with less of, right? Because we had it a couple times in the other issue, and now we have it a couple times here, or at least once in this one. I, I maintain that the worst one is uh is coming up in web spinners. Yes, but that's a whole other thing though, because that's a different era. But anyways, we'll look at that in a second. Okay, so the ranger in uh, the eyes of a ranger. It's kind of out of nowhere to me because, you know, faux Spider-Man is beating up these green armored dudes. And we think that that's the bad guy. And then suddenly there's this ranger and he's attacking Senator Ward and he has a really funky stylized R and a jacket because a, a long trench coat is is what the villains are wearing these days. Um, and weird face tattoos. And his, I, I don't even know if that's facial hair or more tattoos. So what do y'all think of the ranger, his look, and what he's doing here? I think he looks like – he looks very MTV. I mean he, he's wearing this, this like kind of like uh, vinyl vinyl boots and pants and everything. And what are those weapons he has? I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. It's, it's very, very modernized. It's very timely. I mean – We don't watch MTV in my house because we're Christians. They don't show that many music videos anymore. Like you can watch like you know the real world or uh, – I love Daria. Daria is hilarious. Yeah, but there's always Beavis and Butthead, and that's just not our thing. I think Be- no Beavis and Butthead ended a few years yeah, ago. It, it, I think it, it's been off for a, a little bit, but um, but it paved the way for South Park and South Park's evil. <laughs> South Park. My parents will not let me watch South Park. That's like the most lewd thing on there. I could watch uh, a few episodes. Um, about a year or two ago, like the big event with South Park was they were going to reveal who Cartman's uh, dad was. My main thing that I take away from this issue is that um, this is more of like what I like to see from Spider-Man because it feels closer to um, the Peter Parker run that Howard Mackey did, and I don't, I'm not sure if that's John Romita Jr. necessarily. It's obviously much, much lighter, but the exposition feels less intrusive and less uh, rampant, and it feels more sensible. I mean, it's not like I can't believe it was like, my life was like this until like, this happened and this happened and this. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I really don't like 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 the cartoony Yosemite Sam style J. Jonah Jameson or the annoying as Hecaroo Aunt May. But I just kind of like how Peter is written here. I would be very surprised if next month Peter Parker is not Spider-Man again because this issue ends like you know he'll try to find out what Senator Ward's secret is with the Ranger. So. Even though I'm not, I'm not digging how the story is. It feels like it's going to end in, almost immediately with him not Spider-Man. The amazing issue heavy-handedly set up a status quo and reviewed things heretofore. This issue sets up a story and a mystery and uses the characters as a part of the storytelling instead of you know heavy-handedly telling you where the characters are in life. Um, I feel like this was more of a Spider-Man story. I mean, more of a you know, more of a, a typical Spider-Man storytelling rather than as a number one status quo book. Still feels very weird that Peter Parker is not Spider-Man, just watching the things. But yeah, that's that's definitely strange. And <laughs> I do like how Spider-Man is getting annoyed with Peter Parker always being there whenever she shows up, whenever he shows up. 
Agreed. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I like the fact that they they are starting to have a little bit of a banter. That's quite that's quite a that's quite, I suppose, some, some sort of uh, symbolism or whatever. Um, and that is all I have on the main story. Anybody else got anything? Good. Well, there, there is the there is the, the scintillating scrapbook at the back where it has like designs for um, Peter Parker, Aunt May, Joe Robertson, J. Jonah Jameson, and the Daily Bugle. And I, th- I thought that was pretty good. And but uh, for the main story, that, that that would pretty much be it. Yeah, yeah, we we can talk about the um, the scrapbook and the uh, the backup. Um, I like the art in the scrapbook. I like Peter Parker's very broad shouldered. He's very he's a very manly man. He is. That's how John Romita Jr. drew him. You know. Yeah, Mary Jane's kind of delicious. Although I I do think I prefer John Burns Mary Jane in that bikini as far as just a girl I'd like to take home and do things to. But yeah, this is this is some really nice design art in the uh, the middle segment here. There are pictures of Parker's apartment, and it says that these are. Actually, is this computer room. rendered three dimensional art here? I always thought that it was an actual photograph. That's what it looked like. He says like three dimensional shots, so I have no clue. It almost, I mean, it looks I, too good to be computer. Yeah, but I've played Mist. And they have some art in that game that looks like it could be like this. Um, those games, I should say, because there have been more than one. Special um, thanks to Sky. Maybe Sky's a program. Possibly. Possibly. Or, or, or an interior designer. But yeah, the fact that they have gone so far as to make a, a, a complete computer model of this apartment for photo reference... So that it's not just you know generic rooms in a generic apartment like has often been done. Uh, I, I I dig that. And we have the backup. Yes, we do. Um, in this uh, backup, written by Howard Mackey, illustrated by Andy Smith and um, Brad Vancata. Vancata. Va- Brad, whatever. <laughs> it's a, basically a story that spoilers. Peter is telling Aunt May and Mary Jane from way back when, when he was a child. Uh, it's a year after the death of his parents. And basically, it the whole point of the story is illustrating how ostracized he felt from the from the children his own age, and how bad they made him felt, how bad they made him feel, and how Uncle Ben pretty much made everything better. And he found Uncle Ben not as his father figure, but as his best friend, and that his his Aunt May's presence made um, the death of his parents much easier to, to deal with, and they almost pretty much replaced him. So, the the moral of the story is that family can guide one to the dark because Uncle Ben has a flashlight. <laughs> I really liked this story until the last three lines of dialogue, which were absolutely terrible. But I really liked the the poignancy of Peter's relationship with Uncle Ben. I like it because the fact that we don't we don't get a lot of Uncle Ben stories. Um, we probably won't get a lot for things to come. This is probably like the only Uncle Ben story we'll get in the next five years. Not, not, wink, wink. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I like the really, really good Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to see the Peter Parker Spider-Man title, which this is. Like, I wouldn't want to see somebody writing the Peter Parker Spider-Man title doing a Peter Remembers Uncle Ben story every single issue. Interesting bits of continuity here are that he's been living with his aunt and uncle for several years, but his parents have been only dead for one. I've given up trying to make sense of that because they're so inconsistent on how old he was when his parents left him and when they died. I felt like it's been implied that his parents like handed Peter off to them and then went off in a plane and died. But I guess you could also say that they went off to start doing their missions 
and then died several years later. It's it's impossible to reconcile because his age is like so different. Like there's lots of times where like he remembers being told when he was in a crib at one point by Uncle Ben. And then like there's at one point when he found out like in the Amazing Spider-Man annual with like the Red Skull and like his yeah, he, parents he was are, he was like a toddler. He was like two. He was like a baby. And when like Aunt May was talking about it, she was like cradling Peter as she was like you know, expounding, you know, the events and like, you know, Peter was young enough that like he was a baby and he couldn't even process it. But I guess this, this would be a time to establish a new continuity. If they're going to say how old he was now, this could be a new establishment of that. Yeah. Would you make a good point? What'd you make of the little redheaded girl? Because like, it's like they stopped the story dead to say, Oh, she moved away a year later. That was Mary Jane. I think that it was supposed to be Mary Jane. Like, and then somebody like an editor said, no, Peter doesn't meet Mary Jane till later, so like they added in that line, this girl who, by the way, is not Mary Jane and moved away a year later. I think it could important. be Mary Jane and she moved away a year later. How would they? Sure. <laughs> Does it bother you that much? I mean, I don't. I don't think it's really important because it, it might be Mary Jane, and I mean, Mary Jane might not remember this. She. Okay, sure. She's a year, she's younger than Peter, so she, her, her memory may it not. It seems be like good. a chance encounter between Peter and Mary Jane when they were kids that, that that neither one realizes was them. They were kids in the neighborhood that were teasing Peter earlier that day, and like she talks about how lucky Peter is for having his uncle Ben. I think that it's something that would have like it doesn't bother me that much. It was just a note that I had when I first read this issue, especially because like the position that like they're in on that page versus the next page. It's almost mirroring them sitting on the couch when, like, I open up the book and I see the pages side by side. Yeah. Uh, why, I, I, why would it not be able to be Mary Jane? If you read if you read her origin stories and how she met Peter Parker and, like, you know, like in Untold Tales, you know, when she's remembering, like, the first time she saw Peter raking leaves. And it's this girl who moved away a year later. First of all, Mary Jane never lived at the Watson house. She didn't live at the Watson house as a child. She lived at other houses. And she if Peter's if Peter remembers these events, like and he's recounting them now, then I would say that he would have remembered, you know, if that little redhead girl was Mary Jane. And I, I, I would say I don't care how if Mary Jane's a year younger than Peter, she would have remembered this if that happened. I would say that in the flies in the face of continuity. But I agree with Josh that if they are rebooting and giving Spider-Man a new origin on how he got his powers, they have they are they are they have uh they are free to go carte blanche with how Mary Jane uh, lived and interacted with Peter when, before they got together. So I I, I think it's fair game. <laughs> but um, the real question is, did Flash date Gwen? <laughs> <laughs> We'll never get to the end of this. Let's break out this silver spoon table diagram again. What does it mean? <laughs> I wouldn't say that this story is as nuanced as the, the Gwen story that we're going to have in the next issue we're going to talk about, but I did like it. I did like the emotional beats. Until we get to, Dear, sometimes you can see things much more clearly in the dark. Sometimes the dark brings people together in strange ways. I think you're trying to tell us something, Aunt May. Why, Peter, whatever do you mean? God, it ruins the story for me. <laughs> Explain, man. 
I just oh, does he have to? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I want to. I, I want to hear. Uh, I I just you have all these nice emotional beats. Everything is you know what what needs to be said about the story has been said. The things that have been left unsaid, you know, but you know points that are there. Everything is very nice and laid out. It's a good story. And then Aunt May's back and forth with Peter absolutely takes us out of the moment and ruins it. It's stilted dialogue. It's you know, and it's just like ah, oh, I, I I hate it. Um, I would have liked. It's been a long time since I've thought about it, Mary Jane. I guess this snowstorm killing the lights in the city triggered the memory. Maybe they needed another line after that to, before they could just you know put a, the end on it. But it wasn't that. That's not the line they needed with Aunt May. Maybe someone should have, like, you know, done a cool modern 90s catchphrase, like, you know, cowabunga, or, you know, psych, or whatever, you know, and then, like, ended it with them all laughing. Or just shouting catchphrase. Not. Uh, totally. Haven't you heard that pug is the game? Everyone knows it'll drive you insane. <laughs> Okay, we're going to put another uh, file ending on this and come back one more time for the third and final number one issue for November 1998. And so go look for episode 34, part four on the website. And we'll, uh, we'll be back over there. Hello. From the creators of Toy Story. To infinity. And beyond. Comes an all new motion picture event. Walt Disney Pictures presents a Pixar Animation Studios film. No! Hurry, no! Don't look at the light! I can't help it. It's so beautiful. tell you how things are supposed to work. The ants pick the food. The grasshoppers eat the food. It's a bug-eat-bug world out there. Someone could get hurt. He's quite the motivational speaker, isn't he? Let's ride! <laughs> it's the same year after year. They come, they eat, they leave. That's our lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's our life. <laughs> I've got an idea. We can find bigger bugs to come here and fight. Now, why didn't I think of that? Oh, because it's suicide. What they needed was some help. Ah! You're perfect. What they got... Popcorn, stale popcorn. ...was a bunch of clowns. We're losing the audience. Get up there now. They'll only laugh at me. That's because you're a clown. You parasite circus bugs. I thought you were warriors. Hey, Judy, want a holiday with a real bug? So, being a ladybug automatically makes me a girl. Wait, she's a guy. Come on, Francis, you're making the maggots cry. Walt Disney Pictures presents... I couldn't tell. A Pixar Animation Studios film. This was not supposed to happen. Squish him. Ah! Run for your life! An epic. I think I'm going to bet myself. Okay. Of miniature proportion. We don't serve grasshoppers. For the colony. And for oppressed bugs everywhere. Hello there, girly bug. 
Shoe fly, don't bother me. A Bug's Life. Coming to theaters this Thanksgiving. Hey, turn your butt off. And now, leading us into Web Spinners, Tales of Spider-Man, number one, released on November 25th, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, Josh Bertone, take us away. This will be good. Haven't you heard that podcast of the game? Everyone knows it'll drive you insane. Okay. Well, the cover, you know, uh, Web Spinners, Tales of Spider-Man, we have... First spectacular issue in a big logo. We got the Comics Code Authority bar, so we know that the Comics Code approved this thing, although their standards have kind of, you know, not been as strict as they used to be. And what I find is cool that they've been doing lately, above the barcode, it says www.marvel.com. So, like, uh, have you guys been to marvel.com? You could read, like, cyber comics there and stuff. I actually haven't been there very much. I don't really go online very often, Except, except to go on AOL and talk to people. There's cool games and stuff. Like, during the Spider-Hunt storyline I was telling you about before, you could play a game on Marvel.com where you, like, have a have a crosshairs and you try and shoot little Spider-Mans. You're playing as a bounty hunter. So it's pretty cool. So Spider-Man's, you know, on some um, rock formations, and Mysterio with two demons is standing over him, and it says, featuring the monstrous menace of Mysterio. We open up with um, the paper with the anti-exposition, you know, uh, gatefolds, which tells us all about the different Spider-Man characters. Spotlighted this time are Mysterio, Aunt May, J. Jonah Jameson, Flash Thompson, and Gwen Stacy. I thought Gwen Stacy was dead. Well, she is currently a student at Empire State University who has had a romantic attachment to Peter Parker. We get a recap thing that talks about Mysterio's past encounters, but then. We jump right into the uh, story, which starts off with the final scenes of Just a Guy Named Joe, a story that we love so much and so classic that it just had to be retold, only without the Dicko artwork, which was one of its only redeeming factors. So that's awesome. We get to relive those pages again. They, they also they also recapped his, uh, his, uh, his origin. The puddle turned Joe into a superpowered nut job. Because that made sense, and that was so awesome. We end... <laughs> We end the issue 38 stuff. Oddly enough, um, like it's almost like you know word for word, but they leave out the whole thing where like Mary Jane with her big boobs and short hair like leaves the Parker house in her car, and Peter thinks it's Betty. But we end the usual with Peter going upstairs, you know, with his no. I only get nightmares when I'm awake. And then all of a sudden, the narration, without warning, switches from third person to first person. As Peter says, like Ferris Bueller or Kevin Arnold style, okay, I admit it was a little melodramatic. But at that age, the whole world is charged with melodrama. And considering what happened not long afterwards, I wasn't far from wrong. So without knowing why the narrative's changed, we go to the title page, which says, which has a big tombstone that says, Here lies J. Jonah Jameson. And the title's called, As Dreams Are Made. And this story um, is part one of Web Spinners, and it's by John Mark DiMatteis, who's awesome. And the art's by Michael Zoli, who, as I get into in this recap, is not so awesome. Not at all. No. Or real. So Peter pulls back and tells us how he's going to be narrating this thing. That's right, I said I wasn't far from wrong me peter parker talking to the camera (laughs) yeah i thought that i I hope that at the end of this arc they reveal that he's been talking to somebody but like you know i've i've used a ouija board to communicate with somebody from three months (laughs) now and that person says that no it's peter talking to the camera and and peter parker is a woman as you can tell in that second panel 
Yes, lots of people are generally confused. And this Gen- is genderly confused. <laughs> I was going to try and pull the whole thing up by playing the omniscient narrator, but but talking to myself in the third person was getting kind of weird because this isn't. So if you don't mind, I'll just tell you the story same way I tell an old friend. And we are all friends, aren't we? And again, when he's saying this, I thought it was going to reveal he was talking to Matt Murdock or Mary Jane or something. But he wasn't. So we get this weird narration thing. That's awesome. So he takes us da- he takes us up to his attic. I put down to his basement before I realized it was his attic. He takes us up to his attic where days after the Joe incident, he's wearing glasses for some reason because it's a flashback. And whenever they flashback to the Dicko days, they always put Peter in, in glasses where regardless of when the flashback is taking place because hey peter wore glasses in like old stories right so this is a flashback so put him in glasses (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even notice the glasses whenever i was taking my notes on this yeah he hasn't had glasses for five months at this point no wait 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 wait. five months that was the first mysterio story no this is yeah 30 issues Three years. Three years. Two and a half years of no glasses at this point. Well, maybe his glasses are the reason why he screwed up his science. Because he tries to make some science in the in the, in the the attic of angst and science, because he's not in the room of angst and science. But he's too distracted by the floating heads of guilt, and the science explodes in his face. And the causes t- his face to, con- to constantly mutate throughout this issue, so that he never looks the same, like the same person in more than one panel. Yeah, no. uh, along with the rest of the world. Even the glasses like look different. Yeah. So tension arrives in the form of Aunt May, and let me read what Peter says in his first-person narration, which is still weird. I was certain that she'd come bursting into the room, see the web fluid splattered everywhere, shout, Merciful heavens, my nephew Spider-Man! And then kneel over and collapse, dead on the floor from shock. <laughs> which I actually thought that that was funny, you know. That was funny. Like, looking back at his paranoia. Aunt May doesn't have a heart attack and die on the floor, but instead panics about the child's about how this child's chemistry set that's only twenty dollars could have murdered Peter, and he must either go to the ER or take a bath. <laughs> He's not in high school anymore. Those are your two options. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you must go to the ER. No, oh well, then take a bath. I'll get it ready for you. <laughs> no, th- 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 this is the worst Aunt May, and. Go to the emergency room or wash. <laughs> One of the two, because this child's chemistry set almost killed you. And it's like Back to the Future, the beginning of like the first movie. Like It's this little dinky thing, but he flies across the room and explodes, just like Marty McFly with the big amplifiers. Like Anyway... Quentin Beck, who looks like a cross between Gwen Stacy and Aunt May in one of the panels, actually. <sighs> I, I know which panel you're talking about. <laughs> is on the phone in a hotel room trying to line up a job, but for some reason people see him as unreliable. Could it be because he joined the Sinister Six and went to jail? I don't know. But he angsts in the hotel room for a few panels. And like, I'm not they didn't just- even mention the Sinister Six in this story, but yeah, that was that was definitely there. And when I say he angsts in the hotel, that's really what he does. Like, he slams things around. Like, there's a panel where he's, like, at the window and he has his fists clenched, you know? So he's he's angsting, you know, because he... Whatever. So, that goes to his childhood home where a woman who, by the way, this woman that answered the door at his childhood home, it took me a few panels to realize that it was, that it was in fact, a woman because I thought it was a man. <laughs> yeah, when she opens the door in that top row of panels, that's totally a dude. Yes! And I read it as... And then, oh, it pulls back. 
And it looks so, like a tall man, too, because, like, we're in the camera looking up yeah. at her. <laughs> All this art! <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, by the way, this is still being narrated by Peter Parker at this point, as he's saying what Quentin Beck does, which makes it even more awkward. So Quentin Beck, you know, goes to, you know, the room in his old home because he's feeling sentimental, and he gets flashbacks about, like, you know, playing with little movie toys, and his dad comes in. Look, Pop, look what I did! made them all by myself and i'm filming them pop frame by frame i'm like willis o'brien and and ray harrison i'm gonna be a famous special effects guy too one day pop oh okay so this is a flashback and he's like telling his father and you know and he's in like an old rundown home and it's a flashback and he's telling his father about his career choice i bet you that his father is going to be totally supportive of this you know (laughs) because you can tell by the suspenders and wife beater (laughs) just just by the way that the scene starts whenever there's a flashback of a child like proudly telling their dad what they're going to be when they grow up you know the dad is always supportive because this is is super villain origin and super villains always have good parents would I do the end up with a nitwit like this for a kid? Can you tell me that, Henrietta? And then Peter Parker tells us, like, from the future, that what's what, what, what Quentin Beck is flashbacking about. Elmer Beck had a habit of ignoring his son and talking directly to his a, to his late wife, a habit that made Quentin Beck feel just as dead as his mother, and even more invisible. <laughs> what, Peter Parker, what, how does he know that? Because he's reading it from a book, which we'll get to later. So surprises of surprises, you know, Quinn and Beck's father is not supportive of his career choice and like knocks over his stuff. It's really sad. Yeah. (laughs) So as Quinn and Beck leaves, you know, in this flashback within a flashback, we're now back to the first flashback, not the flashback within the flashback. Quinn and Bet's an adult, in case you can't you can. He walks by a woman named Betsy, who, by the way, her name has come up in Peter's narration a lot. She was a childhood friend of Quinn and Beck's who recognizes him and starts to reminisce until Quinn and Beck disappears on her. Aunt May and Peter have a sentimental moment at breakfast, which Aunt May then ruins by... And this is one of the... I've read Spider-Man for years. This is one of the worst Aunt May moments ever. Aunt May ruins by saying that Peter will get blisters if he eats popcorn. Wait, 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 wait. And if you're more than Tenet, the bottom panel on that page... Don't forget a jacket, it's chilly out, you know, typical on May. And if you're going to be out later than 10 o'clock, call me, you know how I worry. And don't eat that salty popcorn, it gives you blisters in your mouth. No! Okay, alright. He's this a is... freshman in college, and she's telling me <laughs> The bathroom is now broken. I, I, I understand that JMD is, is going for the time period. And, and granted, Stanley did make Aunt May incredibly insufferable by issue 12. But still, man. Just for the record, that I created the universe story up there is by Stan Lee. You can see that the first initial S and the name Lieber. But the, oh, yeah. the story doesn't Stan exist. Lieber. Stanley Martin Lieber, yeah. Yeah, I looked it up. The story doesn't exist. It's a fictitious story. It looks like, it looks like an amazing adult fantasy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. Which is cool. So Peter goes to this theater. While outside the theater, Pete, three people walk by who Peter says are Flash, Gwen, and Harry, but the art makes them look like imposters. Harry and Flash are excited about an ESU football game that Flash just won, and Gwen, who's not quite the sports fan that she was in Amazing Spider-Man issue 31, is easily distracted by animals. 
they're like, football, football, football. And Gwen's like, ooh, nice puppy. It's very Homer Simpson-esque <laughs> of her. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to Gwen and her love of animals and all things pure in the backup story. <laughs> I, cannot, I, cannot wait for. I am eagerly anticipating that. <laughs> and how she, you know, fed the starving children of Malaysia. Peter decides that he'd rather risk his identity by sticking to the wall in plain sight than having these Flash, Harry, and Gwen imposters walk by him. And, you know, so he forgoes the obligatory ESU gang, gets mad at Peter scene, and sticks to the wall. Peter and Beck are the only ones in the in the theater. At least that's the way that the art makes it same. And they start to bond over their love of special effects. And Peter not recognizing Quinn and Beck, who he's seen unmasked before. But then things get kind of awkward when Beck's like, "Yeah, <laughs> my dad used to abuse me because of this. Oh, you didn't have an abusive father too. Oh, this is awkward. It doesn't quite go down like that, but that's like the gist of it." So for some reason, future Peter's narration doesn't actually seem to acknowledge that this was Quinn and Beck. And <laughs> yeah, because like he's omniscient about everything else in the story, except for the fact that he secretly ran into Mysterio right here. Yeah. And I guess I'm getting good at reading this artwork because I realized that it was Quinn and Beck. <laughs> and then... I, did, I didn't at first, actually. Yeah. And then Quinn and Beck and Betsy angst about wanting to be with each other, but how they're not going to be with each other, you know, separately. Like she's at the window like, oh, Quinn and Beck, how I'd long to be with him, but I can't. And Quinn and Beck's outside the window. Oh, Betsy, how I'd long to talk to her, but I mustn't. And her hair is three different colors in that page. <laughs> it's green, and then it's gray, and then it's red. And it's not the lighting. It's, it's literally like... She almost looks like a Doug Funny character. Like, like, like she has like purple skin when she has green hair. Oh the gray God. I could see as lighting, but it's green in another panel, and I, I just don't get that. And it's and it's Auburn in the last panel. Right. Oh, consistency in this art isn't that awesome, except when it's not. And the, and there is one panel in the um, theater where <laughs> where Quentin Beck looks like the the deformed guy from the Goonies. I mean, he, he's got one or the Toxic Avenger. He looks like the Toxic Avenger. Where he's got one big pop eye and another eye that's like lower down and smaller. It just it, the art is terrible. Okay, it's, continue. Ugh. So Spidey goes to tease Jonah, you know, in his office, who kind of has it coming this time. You know, Spider-Man's not just doing it randomly because Jonah is apparently in the middle of a 100-part series on why Spider-Man stinks, which uh, – where's Captain America during this, you know, with the rest of the <laughs> – this time Jonah's gone too far. Jonah is, like, standing on top of his desk, like, shouting from the heavens, and he almost falls off. But Spider-Man decides not to let him break his neck, which is actually what he says. Like, I, I can't let Jonah break his neck, which is good because – Spider-Man would never let a member of his supporting cast fall and break their neck. That would, uh... <laughs> At least not purposefully. Joanna screams to call his wife, but out of the two wives that he has, one of them is dead, and the other one hasn't been introduced yet. So... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I'm in a note about that, too. Oh my goodness, miter span. Peter comes home, and Aunt May, you know, is in top form, and she's watching TV, you know, and it's the news. And apparently, J. Jonah Jameson has been found dead. Um, a 10-year-old, you know, from their window, you know, took uh, – used, used a camcorder, the film J. Jonah Jameson, getting in a car crash because a masked man jumped in front of Jonah's car, causing it to swerve. And the masked man was identified as Spider-Man. Peter, remembering Mysterio, the chameleon, and all the other times that this happened, comes to the only logical conclusion that he can. Oh, my gosh. Could this possibly be me? Mm-hmm. And <sighs> Go, John. Go. What? The hell is up with Peter's face? 
<laughs> yeah. Whenever Aunt May's intermediate end in such a grisly way at the hands of a Spider-Man, he looks like a freaking Play-Doh doll. He looks like Shia LaBeouf, and if Shia LaBeouf got into like a Luke Skywalker-esque uh, car accident. And then... And if we go back two pages to whenever he's watching the moot TV with um, Aunt May, that yeah. doesn't even look like Peter, like at all. That his is eyes, like, his eyes like falling out of his socket, and the hair is all wrong. It's just, oh my, I, the the costume art in this is a bit closer to passable than any of the human being art. The human being art in this in this issue is absolutely terrible. The costume art is at least close to passable. It, if anything, it looks as close to that uh, 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 Bill Sienkiewicz, Sabat Sema stuff from the Clone Saga. But even that, you could tell sort of <laughs> what the characters were supposed to look like. This is so inconsistent and so muddy. <sighs> you can't tell the gender of some characters. Or the yeah. fact that they're, same, that they're the same person from panel to panel. So, in one of the only redeeming sequences of this god-awful, you know, A story, Jonah, or so it, you know, is going towards heaven, which we know from reading, you know, <laughs> the, the current 1998 books that Jonah's still alive, and, you know, they, they reveal a few pages later that, yeah, this is Mysterio's machination. So, Jonah's going towards heaven, and he's like, yes, 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 heaven. Then they do, like, a big 90s, psych! They don't actually say psych, but, you know, that's what I think when I read stuff like this. You know, psych! And then he lands smack down in the middle of a hot lava, you know, rock. You know, That was a funny page. Yes. You know, and then they ended on a laugh. Jonah's like, I want my lawyer! No problem. He's scheduled to join you in another two years. Two <laughs> years! I can't wait that long! Then Peter, narrating from the future. And to tell you the truth, once I figured out what was going on, it was fun at first. But that was before things turned ugly, not just for Spider-Man, but for Betty Schneider and all of New York City. And I'll be sure to give you the down and dirty details next time. And <laughs> part one. After this, after this commercial break. Yeah. I'm glad that we can all agree that this sucks and I don't have to talk you into it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Shut up! No, I don't like it. I, okay. just want, I just want to give you a heart attack. There are parts <laughs> of Demetrius's writing in this story that I like. The art spoils the whole thing. The, the, the fact that Peter is narrating all of this omnisciently spoils the whole thing. But... There are parts of the actual story and the way it goes that, that I, I kind of you know am curious about with with Quentin back trying to get a job and and angsting about his childhood and giving us some little bit of insight into his life. The fact that he decides to send Jonah James you know to become Spider-Man again uh, because he realizes this is the only thing that he's ever done that actually he he was good at or something like that. I forget exactly how that logic went he goes to be a fake spider-man again to send jonah jameson into a fake hell those are some kind of cool story beats um whenever he sees the girl of his childhood and he's still too introverted to actually talk to her and he walks away while she's in the middle of a sentence you know there's stuff about the story that i liked but overall it's really really hard to get through it's just it's too text heavy and what, what, when there's not text, there's just, like, very, very, very bad rendering. I mean, there is a difference between preferences of style and technical artists. And if you cannot tell what's going on, 
then by definition, you were a bad technical artist. And there's expressionism, there's expressionism in art, and then there's comic book storytelling. And if you can't tell when someone's male or female or who someone is or if someone is dying or not, then by definition, I'm sorry, Mr. Uh, Mr. Eight-year-old Scribble Scrabble. I mean, Mr. you're Julie. nine years old, Don, and I'm pretty sure that you could do better than this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've been practicing in my uh, in my art class. One of the other little things that I liked, and this this would have been from DiMatteis, I'm pretty sure that he would have written this. It wasn't just a Zuli thing. Although if it was Zuli thing, then yay for him for being clever. Whenever Spider-Man swings past the J. Jonah Jameson billboard, Spider-Man hero or menace, this week part 24 of a 300-part series, a year-long expose. And you can just tell that it's just 300 pointless rants about Spider-Man being evil. It's not actually a structured, built series. It's just rant after rant after rant after rant. I, I do oh, like. No, no, no. He, he has this thing like outlined in his office. Like it's 300 parts and they're all essential. And it's an intricate buildup, you know, that, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, do, I do like the image on, on that billboard, though. That's actually probably the, the, the only good image in the entire A story. Of the, the, the like bit with the mode. secretary and, and and him and she, he and she, how they both hate Spider Man and the tying into the fact that Betty Brand's gone missing here. I liked that bit. But there is so much fail that just makes the the good parts seem trivial. Look at Peter Parker on that next page. I don't want to look at Peter Parker on this book ever again. Okay, so Jam D. Mateus, he's one of my favorite Spider-Man writers. He did one of my favorite Spider-Man runs. Heck, he's done a few of my favorite Spider-Man runs. I mean, but this story is not only hurt by the art, but by the narrative device. You know, he was trying something different, I get that, but the whole Peter Parker, talk not only talking from the future, but talking to the reader from the future, it makes things hecka confusing, and before he switches the narrative, it makes it make less sense, and it's it, 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 that was definitely a problem, at least for me. I, would have st- I should have stuck with a third-person, less heavily narrated version of this story. Yes. Don't make Peter talk to the camera. Hire an artist who can draw a consistent design. There's a good story here. That's the thing. There's a good story here that is being told very wrong, very badly. Mm -hmm. It's a good story, but but there there, there are some moments in there that still, like, okay, honestly, the whole, like, villain telling their dad what they want to be when they grow up and then getting like you know their dreams wrecked that is a cliche yeah and that 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 is a cliche of dimatteis yes you say dimatteis does that every villain he's touched from harry osborne to to dr octopus to mysterio they all have abusive childhoods and while i understand that's a very good trope for storytelling and a very real thing going on in in reality when you do it with the supervillains and rely on that trope every single time it, it, it's, it's like Paul Jenkins with, with Uncle Ben. It becomes redundant and it loses its effectiveness. Who's Paul Jenkins? Uh, never mind. I mean, <laughs> it, it, if, if I were to... Um, He's wearing a Halloween costume of, like, abusive father. I just... And, 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 if, and, if, Jay, and if John Mark dealt with that in his own childhood, you know, and wants to bring that to his writing, I understand that. Completely and totally understand that. Can relate to that. But... It is done. You a need to lot. consider your audience, and it is a Demetrius thing. It's like if you wanted to make every superheroine or supervillainess um, have to go through rape as a young woman and make that part of their reason for being, uh, you know that that's the sort of thing that I could conceive being done too much. What's it's, rape? 
Never mind. It's probably, it's probably not good. I'll tell you when you're older, little Donovan. Oh, moments like Gwen saying "nice puppy" and whatever, like which I guess that's supposed to communicate that she's not that involved in Flash's story. But like, in the context of how it comes off in the script, it comes off as random. And all in all, this was trying to capture a period of Spider-Man, and I don't think it captured that period. I think it no. actually captured it kind of wrongly because, personally, the way I would read the pre-issue forty. Harry Gwen Flash triangle. I would have put Gwen next to Flash. Well, not only that, but like it because of the art, it makes it seem like a very, very like ugly era. Honestly, it does. And even though Ditko was as less clear of an artist as Ramita, it was still like a very positive looking book. It really does look like there's sleazy people walking through a sleazy part of town. Oh, and yeah. Gwen does not. I mean, Gwen Stacy from day one. Until the day that she fell off the bridge, and every day after that, Gwen Stacy was a sexually attractive figure. She was never depicted as being unattractive. What is that walking along there? I mean, she's frumpy, which is not to make frumpy girls feel bad. It's just that that's if you're going to depict Gwen Stacy, that's not how you depict Gwen Stacy. Look at the look at the next page right after the story ends to look how you depict Gwen Stacy. Damn it! And is that supposed to be Harry Osborne? I yeah, can't tell the Flash. And that doesn't look like Flash either. Uh, th- like you said, those are their stunt doubles. You idiots! These are not them. You've captured their stunt doubles! Flash Thompson look like looks like Foggy Nelson. Yes, he does. Those and the, uh, Harry look- Osborne looks like Tony Stark without the without the goatee. Those are like those are like the original Matt Groening designs as opposed to the, the like the refined Matt Groening designs of the characters. Where they looked really, really like odd and just like stretched out like bubblegum. And Peter looks like he's getting a ticket to a porn theater. Yeah, and then like that whole like scene with him and Mysterio, they might as well be watching the porn movie with like the uncomfortable body language and the so, so. Oh, you mean your dad didn't abuse you either? Oh, that's awkward. Yorkle was into this? And Peter is an idiot. Oh my god, did I do this? It was not the chameleon impersonating me again. Or, no, at this point, Craven, yeah, Craven's impersonated him at this point. <sighs> and I made that joke in, was it amazing? It must have been, because that's the only book that we've covered. Aside um, from, I made that joke about him seeing, yeah, him seeing Spider-Man doing something on the news and thinking that, you know, he was having a mental breakdown. Um, because <laughs> that's such a laughable story trope to take after it's done once in issue 13. He learns his lesson and he moves on because that's what people do. Oh, no. in issue one, he was impersonated. It's yeah, that's true. <laughs> Did I commit the act of murder? Did I black out and murder a guy? Oh my god, Peter, this is really, really dark. The only other two things I have to say about this is that there's a nice Saul Brodsky reference. Yes, on the panel on the Gwen Stacy page. The knock one Stacy page. <laughs> it was it was in the ugly panel. Get Maybe it was the Brodsky Theater. I can't see it now, but that's okay. Um and then there's a Titanic reference. Uh to the movie Titanic. Oh, I'm yes. so over that movie. That movie's over a year old and like it's Yeah, but it's still in theaters. I mean it's still... a lot of money. Dude. No. It's Has still it... in theaters and they're still playing the stupid song over and over and over again. <laughs> Mm. 
back then wearing the webs was like, and I hope James Cameron will excuse me as he's writing a movie adaptation of my character being king of the world. I'm. I, it was a good movie the first time I saw it. It was a little long, but I, I, I'm over it now. Titanic needs to, you know, sink and stay at the bottom of the ocean for a long freaking time. It, it did. It needs to stay there. <laughs> okay. Have have we have we ripped enough assholes in this uh, story? Do we need to? I think we have. Okay. Should we move on to the the much better portion of the book? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well. We get some better art here. It says Stanley presents some the kids. Art. Yeah, by John Mark DiMatteis again. This time he's joined by a competent artist called by competent. John we mean one of the art gods of comics. Yeah, by John Romita Sr. And Peter's looking through a photo album to remind himself what his supporting cast looks like after that god awful story the previous, you know portion of the book he's not looking at the he's not looking at the reader either yeah he, he's not talking he is talking to the someone but he doesn't like pull out like hi i'm peter parker let me tell you about the crazy day i had no 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 it's no no he looks at gwen in this photo album who looks exactly like gwen flash thompson's there and wouldn't you know it he looks like flash thompson harry osborne's there you know in his harry osborne halloween costume with the bow tie and you know the suit that like he didn't really wear that much in the ramita era but gosh darn it every flashback to the ramita era even the ones drawn by ramita depict him in it like this one like this one so this story's called the kiss remember that story where mary jane's like i remember gwen from the 90s and like about how awesome yeah and like this is just like that except it's from peter's point of view from the 90s you mean like a few years ago right right yeah well we're yeah we're still in the 90s (sighs) so peter we are still in the 90s i mean the new millennium you will know when it gets here so Peter, you know, is walking the Gwen's house, and as he's walking, the flowers come to life and start singing a song about how awesome the air smells and how awesome the day is. And Peter, you know, like, taps his toes as if he's walking on air. Gwen answers the door, and as Peter says, she's never looked more perfect. Peter then goes on to say about how Gwen is perfect and Gwen is perfect. Peter looks at Gwen's perfect house and how clean it is and how awesome it is. And a, and a bluebird flies in the window on his hand and starts singing a song that really doesn't happen but i feel like it's going to it's he like actually, a spadoinkle day the sky is blue and all the leaves are green the sun's as warm as a baked potato i think i know precisely what i mean when i say it's a spadoinkle day yeah he looks at the picture of Captain Stacy, and Gwen comes down, and Gwen doesn't have to say anything to him because, let me read this. When Gwen came back down into the room, when she saw the expression on my face, she didn't say anything. She didn't have to. With us, words didn't matter. Okay, John Mark Mateus, good writer, and I, I feel bad for crapping on both of his stories, but did you read any stories about Okay, this, this is where I gotta step in. I really, really do. Throughout the first page of this, and, st- and some parts throughout this, a lot of times Peter says he points out that these aren't exactly the, like the he's probably romanticizing the 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 memory of Gwen, but this is just an, an account he had that upon years after the fact of her death, he's looked back at with fondness because it was the last time they really had a, a, a solo date before she died. So he's had a, he's had a real fondness for 
the memory of that night and just being there together. And he mentions it several times. Maybe it didn't happen this way. Maybe I'm 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 taking too much into it, but it doesn't matter because it's how I choose to remember it. So as well, as, as, fun, that, as fun as it is, because that's how he chooses to remember it. So we, we have an idealized version for, through Peter's rose-covered glasses of how this night went. Well, I'll continue because this is because um, <laughs> the because this isn't over because this happens a few more times. So they go to, they go to the movies and Gwen's perfume is so awesome. Except Peter remembers that maybe she didn't actually you know wear perfume and she hold, and she and peter and gwen hold hands and the way that she holds his hand is so perfect because everything about them is perfect gwen wants to walk in the rain but peter thinks no that's silly we'll get wet so then gwen gets mad so then they go to the coffee bean because during every issue of the silver age everyone always went to the coffee bean don't you know they always went to the coffee bean and everyone was always there right that's isn't that how it happened i thought it was a silver spoon so, <laughs> and as far as I'm reading, and Harry Osborne's playing Tatanka. So, because Gwen is so awesome, everyone at the coffee bean is trying to cheer her up. You know, from Mary Jane to Harry to Flash, who are all drawn at their Ramita finest, but like almost caricatures of like what people remember them looking like in the Silver Age. It get, and everyone's trying to cheer up so much that it gets to the point where Flash, Harry. And Mary Jane put on like a miniature a miniature play for Gwen <laughs> with the purpose of cheering her up. And I'm not exaggerating. Look at the art. Read the dialogue. They put on like a miniature play for the purpose of entertaining the dear perfect Gwen, who knows how to hold hands so well, has the perfect perfume and the perfect everything, and is you know purity like you know. <laughs> signified <laughs> and by the way by the way there's my second by the way. while this is happening Peter is comparing Gwen to Mary Jane you know um, not, not in the past but in the present as he's recounting this and he talks about how Mary Jane hid things and with Gwen there was nothing hidden Okay, here we go. Yeah, which that line broke me because <laughs> everything broke you with this fucking issue. <laughs> with Gwen, and yes, I know this is Peter idealizing everything, but with Gwen, there's nothing hidden. Like going to a space exhibit, following Peter around. Why isn't he talking to me? Like her first dozen appearances, and you know what? Maybe that stopped after Dicko left the book, or maybe no, it didn't. Because when Peter, because when Gwen went to London and she wanted Peter to propose to her, did she say, "Peter, I'm going to London. Propose to me so I can stay." No. She played head games with him. That's all they did to each other. They played head games with each other. It wasn't Betty Brant level head games, but head games all the same. And she never said what was on her mind to him. It was always manipulated. But with Gwen, there was nothing. <laughs> there was nothing hidden. So the gang puts on the plane for Gwen to cheer up, but it doesn't work. So Peter, you know, because this is the most romantic night ever in the history of romance, and Gwen's so perfect, they go on a horse carriage in the park, and they kiss. And it's the best kiss in the whole wide world. Why it lasts for a century. (laughs) (laughs) It's so amazing that it gives them flash forwards. Yes. And then he's back in the present looking at this, you know, John Romita, you know, senior art book that he has. And Mary Jane walks in. <laughs> Don't forget the jazz, jazz, jazz after because... <laughs> <laughs> 
So Mary Jane walks in, and instead of thinking about how awesome his current wife is, the girl that he's kissing and presumably about to make Nookie with right now, he thinks how if it wasn't for Gwen, why, Gwen is so perfect that if it wasn't for Gwen, he and Mary Jane would probably not be making out right now. Because if he and Gwen had never had that kiss that lasted for centuries, he never would have been brave enough to date Mary Jane later on. And he, he knows that Gwen is happy that he's getting it on with another woman right now. Because Gwen is yeah. staring at them watching them have sex. <laughs> Gwen is watching them have sex. <laughs> <laughs> the picture is like her, like, like, correction, I don't think that she's happy right now. I know it. And she's staring at them from the picture book. Oh, yeah. No, it ends. Like, Gwen's, like, picture, like, the way that it is. Like, it's as if she's, like, watching Peter and Mary Jane, like, smiling from this John Romita Sr. art book. Like, yeah. And then, and then she slowly morphs into Aunt May. And, and Tracy's picture is just kind of creepy right there, staring at you, going, Why are they having sex? I'm here too. Yeah, and then yeah, and, and then Gwen's heavenly angel comes down and you know and cures all diseases, you know, and everyone holds hands and, and sings a little song, you know, and Norman Osborne is about to, you know, snap the neck of, you know, of, of of some innocent poor person, and Gwen goes up to him, touches his forehead, and then Norman hugs the person, and then Flash is about to say Puny Parker. Gwen touches his forehead and Flash donates all his money to charity. And Jonah <laughs> is about to, you know, write a nasty article about Spider-Man. Gwen walks by him, taps him on the head and jonah does an article you know about like spider-man's good deeds to the world and they all march happily and skip and the book ends and felicia becomes a nun (laughs) (laughs) and felicia becomes a nun sergeant pepper 1970s movie style (laughs) okay can i go Go. i'm good if you're good Uh, let me tell you how josh is wrong on everything (laughs) 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 because as much as i i've I've, enjoyed his like his, his blood-fueled rants. I gotta say, to put them in perspective, basically Josh's big issue, if I'm... Unless, unless I miss my guess, is that this book is a humongous flannerization of the Gwen Stacy character. It's um, a flannerization of Gwen Stacy and of the Ramita age in general. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the but, thing. Well, 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 what's flannerization? Because TV Tropes doesn't exist. Um, it's, it's an exaggeration of the, of, of the era. and uh, It's a word that he just coined you know, about how Simpsons has been treating Ned Flanders over the last few years because the show's been on for six or seven or eight years now in Flanders. It's, it's, in, it's, not, it's, it's in its uh, ninth season. Okay, so, so they, they, Donovan they just had just, uh, the Poochie episode. Donovan has just coined a phrase. <laughs> yeah, take that internet if you last much longer. But my thing is that uh, Josh, from, from uh, what I obviously got there, is like he's saying that this is a, an over an over-exaggeration and an oversimplification of an era that people love to remember. My thing is that, uh, not not to not to speak as though Josh isn't here, but it seems to me though that Josh is seriously jaded because there has been so many references to this era that have been idealized that whenever they go back to this era and they portray it in this way, that it's just hard to stomach because it wasn't that every issue. But the thing about this issue is not only does Peter make a point that says maybe I'm romanticizing this too much. It's it's almost a, it's almost a meta a metatextual look back on the immediate era because many times does Peter say that maybe it's just my preference that to remember Gwen this way and she wasn't really like this and he's and no, there are no words this this whole thing is, is told by John Romita there there are just captions that that sort of out, give a story but it's really this issue is told by John Romita and JMD does the wraparound so we get the, the status quo of what what was then and you can't deny that at one point or another. 
this was the status quo, essentially. And now I'm not saying that Gwen was ever this this virginal angel that she was back then, but the story isn't much about how awesome Gwen is. It's about how much in love Peter and Gwen were in, and that you really can't deny. So when the, since that is the crux of the story and how that has shaped Peter since then and how that has shaped Peter's worldview on how his life was since then, I think this is a perfect story, especially with the art. I heartfeltly, if that's a word, enjoyed Bertone's parody of this story. But the way I read it, I kind of come down on Dawn's side. I really, really liked it. I liked the emotional beats. I liked that this was basically a love letter to Peter's and Gwen's relationship. You, you can't deny that they, that they were seriously – I mean he even says if she had lived, would we have still been together? Would we have found other people? I mean he's, re, he's very realistic about it. He's not – What if like, they did a story like this about Betty Brand and Peter's relationship and in the story Peter said things like, that was when Liz Allen poked me on the shoulder and walked away. But Betty didn't get jealous. Betty would never get jealous over things like that. Well, it doesn't like, matter because we because that relationship didn't end up that way. Because Gwen died, there's always the what if factor, which this issue plays on, with yeah. with, with this being the last issue. That's it's a different situation. And there are always unanswered questions. And and yeah, he is romantic. In fact, if I have anything bad to say about this, it's the fact that he over makes the point that he's idealizing his memories here. I don't think he does. I, th- I think that it's done right when it gets too saccharine, too sweet. I think that he steps back into reality and says, well, maybe it wasn't that way. But I think, but I think the, 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 he pulls us out of the moment a bit too often, in my opinion, that okay. he, he doesn't need to state so much that he's idealizing it. Okay, we get you're idealizing it. Let's go on with the idealized version since that's where we are. Um, if that, if, and that's that probably the only thing I would have negative to say about the story. Yes, Gwen Stacy's and Peter's relationship was not this cool <laughs> for any length of time. But there were times where they were this good. And maybe it was only an issue. Maybe it was only the space between one issue and the next. But there were times where Peter and Gwen Stacy would meet up and it was the happiest part of both of their days. Yeah. That did happen. And um, I think that's what he's looking back at. He's not looking back at her. This happened every single time. Right. He's he's not looking back at wondering why Gwen Stacy would shun him for working for Spider-Man. He's not looking back at you know the the bad times. Not being there when she was in the hospital. He's not looking. She's not looking back at you know him being missing. She's not looking back at him being mad at her because he thinks she's with. She's not looking back at the at the continuity uh, lace issues that that writers lovingly forget. He's looking back at what matters to him, and what matters to him is what happens to matter to art, to writers and artists who tend to over romanticize this. But because this is the character, it 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 works. And it was, and this is just one night. This is not the overall nature of their relationship. He's looking back at a night, one particular night, and they, I fully believe they had nights like this. In you know the fictitious world that doesn't exist, I fully believe that these sorts of evenings did happen, where things were nice and they were in love. And for Peter, at least, she was the perfect girl. At that um, point in time, I mean, he wanted and, to marry her. 
He did. He wanted to marry her, and one you know they they said in the books the reason we killed her off is because we didn't want them to get married. That was the only other place we could go. Is their relationship was going towards marriage, and we didn't want Peter to get married, so we killed her. Which and, ain't happening anyway. <laughs> so, I totally get your view on it, Josh. I, I totally understand it. And and especially knowing, you know, the way you like to look at the comics and like to look at the relationships. I'm not saying your point of view is wrong or anything by any stretch of the imagination. I just I read it very differently when I read it. It's not a bad story. I just don't like points that the story makes. The art is very good and this is a more well told story than the previous story this issue was. It's just This is the best story out of every issue we've read tonight. My problem is, like, it, it, to me, it's over-idealized, and to me, this has become, like, it, it's almost its legacy that I have the problem with the legacy. The legacy, since in, in the few days, you know, that this book has been out, because I'm talking about this story's legacy, in the few days that this story's been out, Don made reference to a trade earlier, a trade that also came out in those few days, this story has, like... It's become like what people associate with the Ramita era in general and like this just totally fictitious idea of like it was always the gang hanging out at the coffee bean and, you know, this and that. And, you know, Gwen being it's Gwen is just and, and it's just, you know, added to the myth of Gwen Stacy. Remember, that is this idealized being, you know, Norman Osborne indiscretion aside, which, you know, <laughs> I can't, I can't. I can't say that uh, Gwen Stacy is this idealized human being, and and even if they were to do a story, you know, years from now about Gwen having an in, in, an indiscretion, you know, and having kids with another person, which that would be weird. But if they ever decide to do that, like this, it's this story and this perception of Gwen is still out there. That like that 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 she always like had a halo. Like they don't remember Gwen, like you know. Saying the saying the Peter and her thought balloons propose to me, damn it! You know, while she's hugging him, saying, "Oh, Peter, I'm gonna leave because no one's asking me to stay." Well, um, I will say that if there's one thing that 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 sums up this whole thing and your perspective, is that panel where uh, that that panel right before the uh, the uh, death of Gwen Stacy panel, where she's looking in Peter's eyes, and she and it's very very rom- romance comics era. Ramita, where she has this look in her eyes. He says, "I found the entire universe in her eyes." That is definitely the uh, the point that everybody who thinks of Gwen Stacy thinks of her in that image. But um, again, I will say, and I, and I don't want to come off as that, you know, I'm we're right and you're wrong. I don't because you know your opinion is great. But I will say that as as much as you can take away that this is a a gift and a curse towards Spider-Man Legacy about how people look back on issues they probably never read. Remember, this is Peter Parker's perspective, and Peter Parker's perspective is is the would-be widower of a of a woman who he was mad in love with, when she died by somebody, who a, a, a he tried to save and b was the worst enemy he had at that time. It was it was the worst thing that ha- that had happened to him at that point in life. So he can't help but remember what was really a good well a really good relationship to him at his point in time when he was very young. So it's as idealized as it can be. It, it it just makes sense for the character, and if it were any other way, it would it would almost fly in the face of those of those issues, as it would almost be out of continuity with those issues if he were to like say, well, Gwen was great, but she always was a bitch to here and here and here, or she always was a, a, well, a witch. Here and here. Okay, yeah, but 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 it's one extreme or the other. It doesn't have to be either him saying she was a witch, 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 and oh, she was perfect, perfect, perfect. But I get you. You notice by the way that like. After they get ready for their date, she's pretty much wearing the Gwen Stacy Halloween costume that she's always drawn in. This like is true. since 
which which is an which is again another thing about the story. It's like the Silver Age, like the it it basically boils down to like you know the same outfits for certain characters, the same setting. It's always the coffee bean. It's always Harry in the green suit and the bow tie. It's always Gwen in the outfit that yeah. It's always the outfit that 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 they that you know Gwen only wore like the issue that she died in. Like it, it, it's always those things. It is, but at the same time, I mean, is that her fault for choosing? I mean, it, 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 it's not her fault, but it would be like boiling the '90s down to just like one story. You know, like it was always Mary Jane in that bikini that she was, you know, wearing when she called Peter. It was always Aunt May, you know, not knowing how to use a pager. It was always like, well, again, I mean, I mean, it's 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 the right. I mean, like like uh, if they were ever to do like, oh, I don't know, I'm I'm just spitballing here, like like a DC retrospective thing, and had like decades where like they take writers from those decades. And like, I, like, if, for instance, if they had what they're having now, uh, or they, at least they had a couple of years ago with like the Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle Batman era, and they made something like that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that issue every single issue, but it would be representative of the era, and the mindset. And I mean, and that's that's sort of like what this is. And like, again, I mean, I just gotta fall on it's, it's people who who tend to write this as every issue, but this issue isn't trying to be every issue. This isn't like there were there was there were two years ago there was. Do you remember that annual that uh ninety six annual? That was another, which I thought that that was a better representation of an era, but, but, but it, it also had Harry in his Halloween costume, but you know, it's... Well, that one was mainly, it was told to be a continuity piece, because you found out how Captain Stacy found out Spider-Man was Peter Parker, and it was, and it was sort of like an untold tale. But this was sort of, this is not so much Peter and Gwen's date and the details of it, as it's about the feelings that were felt during it, and the mindset during that time, uh, told from a different perspective, because in that story... It's sort of like a different perspective. Well, first of all, it's a different person. It's Ben Riley, but this one, it's Peter. I mean, this Peter Parker who's telling this story right now, he couldn't. He this this might not even be the Peter of 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 uh, Peter Parker and Amazing Spider-Man number one. This could be the Peter Parker who's like who's like old elderly age. We never know. Um, he's he he's kissing MJ. You think that they'll be married till their elderly age? Why wouldn't they? I mean, uh, I, mean the- I mean, it's it's you know, it's the '90s. Who knows what can happen to her? She could turn into like a mutant or something, or get retconned into being a holly. Maybe she'll be a scroll, just like like because a few years ago they got rid of Johnny Storm's marriage. His wife turned out to be a scroll. Oh, that was crazy, wasn't it? Well, I I can tell you that the, the only strange thing about this is 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 Gwen spying on them from the picture book. That really that's actually kind of creepy if you think about it, but. <laughs> I know that Gwen's happy about me and Mary Jane, which they said in the Clone Saga. Gwen's clones, like I'm so happy to hear that you and Peter got married. <laughs> it's it, oh, it's, it's idealized to heck and back, but it's it's again. I mean, it's I mean, I, I don't I don't want to use the, the phrase "if you ever been in love before." That's how you feel, but like it's it it's, it hits it hits close to home with very you very. Nine, so your opinion means nothing. That's true. Well, I had a crush on a teacher, and that means everything to me. But like, <laughs> <laughs> which is following a cliche. But um, I think that this is very, to me, that this doesn't feel like it's a Spider-Man book as much as it is a romance book. And I think that because it's written from that from that mindset, not just codified to again, it's a, it's about the continuity. And they they mentioned Peter going off to Canada and and, and you know that the, the Hulk issue before this. They make reference to it, but you could tell this issue. Um, I mean, this this could be any character, and I think the point would still remain the same, honestly, because because it has a certain legacy with Gwen Stacy and Spider Man. It 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 resonates much better, and it bites and stings much harder for you because 
people have taken that and just humped it to to hear him back. But because again, I, I'm I'm repeating myself over and over again, but it's because it's Peter Parker's perspective that it just makes it all much all the more stronger of a story in and of itself. To be fair, it's over romanticized, but to be fair, that's like the, that 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 is the point of the story, and it 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 doesn't pretend to be like not over romanticized. And um, I mean, and I just I just love the art. I mean, the shots of Harry flashing Gwen in that one panel. I mean, it's so beautiful. But I, I love the story, and I think I'm hawking the spotlight from John. No, that's fine. I I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I haven't already said, so I'm just letting art go. Yeah, but there's 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 not much more to say about the story. I, I I did love, I did love the fact that we just we that that Bertone just lit on fire because it, it gets for good discussion. <laughs> yeah, I I feel bad that I've hated almost everything tonight. <laughs> well, I kind of knew that was going to happen when we get in when we got into it, just because you know um, I, my thirty two year old self had written me a note about what your thoughts were on the reboot, and so I I knew what to expect. I don't hate the, the the this kiss story. I just hate things about it. If that makes sense. <laughs> this I, kiss, this kiss. Oh yeah. That's a good, that's a good Faith Hill song. That you know the, the this new artist Faith Hill. <laughs> She's a hottie. It's the way you love me. There is an ad in my copy of of comic nest that I'm looking at. I'm not sure if it was included in Web Spinners or not, but it has Peter Parker. All, oh no, um, it was okay. And Spider-Man like jumping up behind him, going "boo." Yeah. And it says, "Who is this Spider-Man, and why isn't he Peter Parker?" The new spin begins. And at the bottom, it has Peter Parker, Spider-Man number one, and then Amazing Spider-Man number one. I'm not sure why it's in that order. And below that, don't miss Web Spinners tells the Spider-Man number one. So um, this, I think, is a nice page. This would make me interested. So, okay, what what the hell is going on with Spider-Man? It's a little bit of a WTF kind of thing, um, even though chat speak is still in its infancy. Mm-hmm. But I do I do like the ad. It would it would make me say WTF? I want to read this. It's what the fun, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fridge? So, what comics are y'all reading that aren't Spider-Man right now? I'm definitely picking up Batman, and, and I'm picking up a Chuck Dixon's Robin book. Cause it's, do you, do you remember Stephanie Brown, John? Yeah. Oh, I'm no, sorry. Stephanie Brown's on. I, I stepped on your toes. No, 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 no. no. I, I was, I was just about to mention that. Like, uh, we'll talk about it, Josh. Like, like he, he got real, he got real with that book just now. Okay. Well, a few months ago, he finally, he and Ariana, they finally broke up, and like, because uh, he's gonna start dating. Spoiler now. And after their first date, John, get this. He drops a bomb on spoiler that I uh, know. Spoiler drops a bomb on him that she's pregnant. Spoilers. Wow. So I'm guessing that pregnant spoiler is not the one that he's pounding on the cover of Robin sixty. No, no, it, that, okay. that that would be a bad storm. Uh, he's not the father because you know, as she tells him, you can't get pregnant by one makeout session. And uh, uh, she wants to keep the baby. Yeah, like she, she's like there's there's no ifs ands or buts about it. Is she? She's a teenager though, right? She's. she's a, that's an 15? interesting story for DC Comics to do. Fifteen, sixteen. Yes, it is. It's yeah, um. That's kind of avant garde, cutting edge type stuff. That's that's pretty cool of them. No man's land. It's going to be this Batman. Like, okay, so this earthquake that happened in you know earlier this year, Cataclysm. They're going to follow it up with No Man's Land, this like Batman event where Gotham's going to be closed off. And 
we're actually going to have a Batgirl for the first time since 1988. Eight. Yeah. Is it stuff that's happening now or stuff that you've read about in Wizard or whatever? Uh, Wizard says that there's going to be a new Batgirl. Uh, they don't say who she is, though. And her costume, it's covering all of her skin, so we don't even know what ethnicity she is. A lot of people think that it's Renee Montoya, and that's why, you know, like, we don't see her skin. Because they yeah, can't reveal. Renee, Renee's been shown incongruence with this. Not in the same scene, but... I, I'm 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 not sure why people think it would be Renee, but that would be really weird if it was Renee. Yeah, I, like Renee. I mean she has a she has a relationship with Gordon. I like Renee. Um, it could be Sarah Essen. You know, like isn't you know, she a hooker? No, no, no. I don't know why someone would make that mistake, but no, no, no. She's <laughs> right now. Right now, she she's Commissioner Gordon's wife. You know, and hopefully they'll be married for a really long time. And you know, nothing bad will happen to her. And no man. Young Justice like, Number Four came out. Like it 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 was. A, it's a new title that's basically like the Teen Titans sort of title, but it's 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 pretty fun. But the last the ending to this latest issue was really dark. Like they had this hero named this teenage villain named Harm, and he was killed by his father. It's I've seen really the covers good. for that comic. It looks like a sort of concept that would make a good animated series. Yeah, it Peter David, you know, was writing it, and it's really good. And like uh, the team is like starting to grow now. Um, yeah, they, they added the chicks. Yeah, they added the chicks because for a while it was just Impulse. Uh, uh, Robin and uh, Superboy. I, I, I keep on having the urge to call Impulse Kid Flash, but like they made it very clear when he showed up in Zero Hour that he does not want to be called Kid Flash. He is Impulse, so I gotta keep that in mind. You know, he might get ra- over that though, because that was one of the first things that Superboy said was, "Don't call me Superboy." Superman. Oh, it's Superboy. Yeah, right. Well, <sighs> that jacket was cool for like you know the early '90s. I think. That style for Superboy now. He needs to change his look. You know, it's 1998 now. It's he needs to get with the times. He could even keep the same suit, just lose the jacket. Yeah, that would be that. That would be kind of cool. But yeah, yeah, Peter David Young Justice is good. His Supergirl is awesome. Um, who do you who do you think the new Batgirl is going to be, Don? Um, well, it's not Barbara. It's not Stephanie because she's preggers. Um. I really don't have any idea because it's a new character. I think it's just, I mean, since Batman, since Batman disappeared for a while, he could have found a new person. I don't see, I really don't have any idea who it is, but I love the costume. It's, it's so different. It could be an established character. It could be a new character. Because that's the thing. They'll, they'll tease you about who could it be, and you'll be going through all this list of people that you know. And then suddenly they'll, they'll you know, take the mask off, and suddenly it's this person you've never, ever met before. Do you think it's Barbara, um, and she's regained her mobility, like, and she hasn't said anything? Cause I really Bruce, hope it's not. Because Bruce, you know, he, he was in a wheelchair. He got out. That That is true. It's comics. Anything can happen. Anything and everything. I mean, because right now, you know, we have the new Batman, you know, uh, the, the Batman Superman Adventures. That's airing right now, you know, and uh, Barbara Gordon's Batgirl in that, and she plays a very prominent role in that series. Yeah, but that would be like changing Tim. I mean, that would be like t- changing Tim Tim Drake's costume to match that that cartoon. I mean, it's a little too bit on the nose. And DC, they don't pander to that to the anime continuity too much. I mean, they have their they just they just uh, did another animated title called Gotham Adventures, which has been out for a few months. I mean, so they have that if they want to see Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. Yeah, and I mean, and Barbara plays a prominent role. And um, did you get the um Sub Zero VHS? Yeah, yeah, that that was that was pretty good. She, she she played a big role in that movie. 
Yeah, ironically, she was only Batgirl for like a minute. That 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 came out this last March. It was really cool. Not as good as Mask of the Phantasm. I hope that they do more of these animated movies. Um, are you reading Daredevil? Karen Page has AIDS. <gasps> she what? How yeah. How could you gotten that? Are you kidding me? Did you read Born Again? No, I, at this point I've not read Born Again. No, no, what happens to Born Again? Karen Page comes back after, like, being away since, you know, the 70s. And, uh, turns out that in her spare time she's gotten in the prostitution, uh, the pornography, film industry, and, uh, drugs. Now, I haven't read that much Daredevil, but I... I remember somebody telling me that she was doing drugs all the way back in the 60s, like behind Matt's back and stuff. She was turning tricks. Is that true? Uh, no, it, may, it was pretty clear in Born Again and in the books afterwards that she – this is something that she did afterwards when she went to Hollywood. Okay. For Marvel Comics to give one of their characters AIDS, like, you know, like we're in the age of Rent, you know, which is a pretty cool Broadway play that's out right now. Like, you know, it's – I guess AIDS is like the disease of the 90s that like, you know, it's, it's kind of like the buzzword and – um, I'm wondering how far they're going to take this thing with Karen. But the problem is, like, if Karen doesn't die, if Karen gets cured of AIDS before there's a cure for AIDS in the real world, is that insulting, you know? Yeah, I see where they could go with that. I mean, it's one thing to have generic crippling injury be healed or whatever, but to have something relevant, it's, it's, it's the same reason why they didn't have all the superheroes go to World War II in the World War II era. Sure, in 1975, you can make the invaders go fight Nazis in, in Europe. But in 1942, you're not going to have Superman go and beat up Hitler and Stalin and everything. That's just not going to happen. Right. Oh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's... Uh... I wonder if I, I wonder what they are gonna do. It's um it, the the story is really good though. There's some machinations going on. Um, well, usually oh. when you have AIDS, you die. So maybe Karen's on her way out of the book. Maybe. I, don't do oh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Well, she's. With, I wonder if Matt's gonna get AIDS because they're like together. That would be a really weird direction to take your main superhero character. He's I mean, fine, and he has AIDS. Yikes! I, I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. And <laughs> if any, there are any listeners out there who who are HIV positive, we're definitely not trying to be insensitive about that. I just... Oh, no. It would no. be an interesting direction to take that character. A blind character age, shit. <laughs> <laughs> All of Sorry? a sudden, guys, I'm starting to feel like like, I, like I'm getting fatter and, and, and older, and, and my hair, my hair is falling out of my head. Hair's everywhere. I, ah, my hair's everywhere. Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill, Bill Clinton, what's going on to him? He turned into George Bush's son, and now George Bush is black. Spoiler: she she's given birth. She's given up her baby. And Spider Man. Oh my God! You don't want to know what they've done to Spider Man. Made him black too. Batman and you. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow. Look at all these superhero movies that have come out in the past, like, five seconds. Oh, my God. We still don't know who hired the Scorpion or what the frick Senator Ward was up to. Oh, I know. And I, I guess that that goes along with what we're going to discuss in a little bit. Yeah, oh. okay. So so we're magically transitioning to back to the real world where it's 20, uh, 2011 and we're not pretending that it's 1998 anymore. Um, and so, yeah, we hope you enjoyed our look back at the reboot in honor of DC's reboot month september with the new 52 um which we'll all buy and none of us will drop 
Let's hope that let, let's hope that you'll do better than this Spider-Man one. Let's hope that the plot threads that all of the current DC writers for the New Fifty Two, all the plot threads they plant in Number One, let's hope those actually get resolved. Yeah, because uh, Josh, tell us the what I found to be a promising start. And although y'all dissed a lot on it, I found it to be a promising start to the reboot. Tell us what happened. Yeah, Senator Ward goes nowhere. People talk about it for a while. They're inconsistent in Senator Ward's own knowledge of his involvement in the mystery. Like, one issue, he's talking to Arthur Stacy. I know what you did. Well, I know that you know what I did. Well, we both know what you did. Yes, and the world will know what you did one day, you know, Senator Ward. Not if I can help it. And then two issues later, Senator Ward, like, is like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. I don't know. And then, like... He Kirby crackles and says, yes, I remember. And then those Kirby crackles were like a separate entity from him. Then they were the same entity. Then they weren't. And the mystery had no clear purpose. And it was inconsistent. Who hired the Scorpion? We never find out. And why they were after Peter Parker. Now, later on, Captain Power shows up. We're not even going to discuss Captain Power and that effing reboot. We didn't even discuss in that backup story how they had Peter's old origin of, like, the science lab explosion. But anyway, his, Captain Power was a character whose origin tied to Chapter 1, and he was looking for survivors of the lab explosion. And one of them was Peter Parker. That's who people guess might have been, you know, the one hiring Scorpion to go after Peter Parker. But it was never confirmed, and there's some inconsistencies between that backup story and when we actually see Captain Power, so we never find out who it is. And, you know, instead of concentrating on the mysteries that he has, Howard Mackey gives us more mysteries, like giving Mary Jane a mysterious stalker who... Who is facade. No. Yeah, who... No. No. Who has exploding lollipops, who kills Mary Jane, but wait, she's not dead, but Peter thinks she's dead for a while. (sighs) We get a lot of bad stories. Mysterio kills himself over in Daredevil, but... You know, they forget to tell the writers of Amazing, who have Mysterio continue to appear for a few more months before Spider-Man says, wait a second, aren't you dead? That's a mystery that's not solved for a while. And then when oh, they really? Say, <laughs> yeah, that, that storyline with Flash Thompson in the virtual reality world, that was when Mysterio was supposed to be dead. So, oh, it's okay, because they brought Quentin Beck back, and it's 2011 now, and they still haven't explained how Mysterio's alive again after getting brain cancer and shooting himself in front of Daredevil. Uh, Jill Stacy was, you know, played up as Peter's new love interest. Thank God that didn't last. Flash Thompson was regressed back to a buffoon who picks on Peter and who laughs at him for having dead girlfriends. Peter's like, everyone that Peter loves dies, like Mary Jane and Gwen. Ain't that a hoot? (laughs) (laughs) Writing at his quality finest. Yes, yes. Oh, Howard Mackey at his finest. Plot lines are dropped, and it just... Yeah, Senator Ward's never solved. The Ranger comes back. It's every... What I want to know is, like... Oh, Tricorp! Tricorp. All those new characters that we met this issue, they were never developed, and they were dropped. How immediate was uh was the was the fan reaction? Like like how immediate was like the burn? How how immediate, How fast did you piss off the burn burnout? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah, think like, how- right. I think right away it was. They were already ticked over the way that it happened, you know, because like, oh, Baby May's coming back just like you wanted. All right, fans, behind this door is Baby May. Get ready to give that baby a hug. Oh, it's Aunt May. And she hit Peter on the head with a vase and said, get away, you horrible creature. 
Um, so th- that made fans did, pissed did off. She, did she take him out to the Hollywood desert to do that? No, but yeah, it's with the enforcers. Yeah, plot lines that, and then they, and then plot lines that were left unresolved during during the um you know pre reboot era, like who is the new Green Goblin? Yeah, they resolve that by unmasking him as at what Jr. likes to call a clone of nobody. Peter takes off his mask. He's like Harry, and then he says, "No, I'm not Harry. If I was Harry, then maybe Norman would have loved me." Then he shapeshifts into about three other people, then melts. Makes sense to me. Yep. Then that same story, Liz tells Peter that she can't be around him because he kills everyone he loves. Peter falls asleep on the streets in an alley and gets his costume stolen because he's homeless. <sighs> and then that, that that era ends and then JMS and Paul Jenkins come on the book and, and then the books are awesome. Paul Jenkins and Howard Mack, like, because at one point... Howard Mackey couldn't do amazing and Peter Parker, so Paul Jenkins took over Peter Parker, and the quality improved somewhat. But, like, after Mary Jane died, there was a really weird thing where Peter was living with Randy, and Randy was acting like Mary Jane had been dead for 30 years, and Peter had to go get laid right now. Like, it was Peter... And he was hanging out with Randy. Randy was dating Glory, and Jill was there and being teased as a romantic interest with Peter. And they were all like, "Come on, Peter! Mary Jane's been dead for a week. You got to go out and get some girls. Come on, Peter! What? You're still crying about your dead wife? Jeez, get over it. It's been a month." That <laughs> but sounds really like, terrible. Yeah. At one point, they like Randy like finds a woman online who's like on house arrest and has a wristband. And then, like, you know, Peter's like, wow, this woman's a felon and possibly a killer. I'm not going to date her. And then Jill and Gloria are like, Randy, you set Peter up with her? Like, it's uh, it's very. Uh. And then Jill's like, don't worry, Peter. You'll find someone. And then their faces, like, get closer and closer like they're about to kiss. And then Peter's like, Mary Jane's alive, and I'll find her one day. <laughs> I, know, I know he visits Dr. Doom and runs into the Incredible Hulk looking for her. I mean, you're asking me to say what happened during the reboot. I could talk for hours about, you know, everything that went wrong during... I, I just did an article on Crawl Space about, like, just the parts of the reboot that focused on Betty Byrne and Flash Thompson's relationship. And even those parts, like, that was, like, the most inconsistent thing in the world. Howard Mackey couldn't decide if Betty Byrne and Flash Thompson were dating or not. And the, the thing is, Howard Mackey is currently writing all of Spider-Man. He's doing The Amazing Spider-Man, and he's doing Peter Parker's Spider-Man. It's not like a bi-weekly Spider-Man title, because actually it's it's like two next together next to each other weeks. And I'm not sure how much the stories overlapped. But Peter, Howard Mackey is writing Spider-Man. So he should be able to keep a consistent character thre- uh, plot, a character thread with Betty Brant and Flash, and he doesn't. What about you, Don? What are, what are your thoughts about the reboot? Well, since I've, since I've aged 13 years... Okay, when it, when the re, when the reboot happened, I I very much remember Aunt May coming back in the final the chapter the 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 gathering of the five and everything, but the actual reboot itself I have very dim memories of, probably because I was so uh, wrapped up with uh, Batman that I probably didn't concentrate what's going on with Spider Man, so a lot of the reboot trappings that people re- recall that sucked, I honestly have no remem- no memory of, and I really don't remember uh, very well until honestly the JMS era. Like like I remember reading the first JMS story. Uh, from the get-go and like this uh, well no actually it was uh the story where mary jane comes back that i remember after she was presumed dead and which which, which sucked ass and uh and it sucked ass because it was just it it was so cheap the way it was written like because i need i need to find myself he's like oh, okie dokie 
And and JMS began writing in issue 31, 32, somewhere around there. So it's not that far in the future from where we are now. Issue 30, I believe. Issue 30, okay. So that's, you know, two and a half years. So right. Howard Mackey and whoever followed him, if anyone did, for the next two and a half years is this era that people tend to revile as much as or more than the one more day and, and after it type of stories. Well, you know, the, the hell of it is, is that like, when I've been reading these issues for the purposes of this show, there were so many trappings of both Brandon Day and Big Time that are ripped off. Yeah, ripped off from this era. I'm shocked are, are taken as well as they are. Like, seriously, like, the whole Tricorp thing, I know people were saying, like, like Horizons Labs was a Tricorp ripoff. It really is. Yeah. Yes. And I, I Yes. Down to the whole set your own hours and come in whenever the heck you want. That's what they told Peter during like the initial story. The 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 conversation that Peter has with his new boss is beat for beat the conversation that he has with Quan in this issue. Was that her name Quan? It's <laughs> it's the same conversation with a different artist drawing the people. This job which is too good to be true. The only thing that's missing is the um, the cabinet with the secret key that only you can access, that you can put all your secret projects in. That Make sure you put your secret identity stuff in here. Right. I'm still waiting for that to come back and bite him in the ass. Which it, 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 I'm sure it will, or maybe it won't. But yeah. You don't, it, make, you don't make something that's super secret that only one person can access and then not have somebody else find out how to access it. That's just how those things work. I read these new when I was um, a kid, and I enjoyed them somewhat, but, like, I kind of felt the sense as a kid that something was, like, off and missing. And, I mean, even as a kid, like, I knew that the Senator Ward stuff was inconsistent, and, like, that bothered me. Um, There was a special subscription thing that Marvel offered, like, in the books that my mom got me for, like, a gift or something because I got to go to a port card where you can, like... They had a pack where if you subscribe to both Amazing and Peter Parker, like, you know, both, oh God, of, the con- this. both of the continuity Spider-Man titles, then you would get, like, you know, a discounted price. So we did that for a while, and that subscription renewed every year. And towards the end of the Mackie run, I actually, I was still getting the books, but I would let them pile up in my room because, like, I just wasn't reading them anymore because they were poor. But then when they brought Mary Jane back at the end, like, I started reading again. Because Mary Jane was brought back at the end of Mackey's run. So, I, I for the most part, enjoyed the setup issues. I have not read this era of Spider-Man. It's one of my big blank spots uh, in the history of the character. So, I, I fully understand that if you're going to set up some mysteries and set up some storylines, those can be intriguing. If you take those nowhere and you never resolve them, and you never explain the things you set up, and it becomes obvious that you actually had no idea what the hell you were doing it from day one, then that is that is poor, poor, poor writing. So I, I, can, I can accept that this was a very, very bad era, even though I liked the issues that we read tonight, um, with the exception of that first web spinner story, because, oh my effing God, was that art terrible. So... Um, we hope you enjoyed this look back at the reboot. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be one or two episodes. It's, this is probably the second of two episodes. It's two episodes. Don't kid yourself, man. Unless this is going to be like a supersized episode. I'll just have to see how the edits are going when I when I get into the edit room. Like I have a special edit room. 
And yeah, next episode, we will be back on track for normal Spider-Man goodness with myself and Josh and Don, just the three of us looking at Amazing Spider-Man 48 and then 49 and then 50 comes afterwards. And for that episode, we will have a special guest. Do we have anything else to add before I before we sign off? I think Josh needs to uh, drink a warm glass of milk, eat a sandwich, uh, as I may like to subscribe. Just take a deep breath. And with Don whispering sweet nothings to Josh to get him to calm down, we are going to bring this episode to a close. Hope you enjoyed the uh, special format for the last couple of episodes. The idea behind it was that, you know, DC Comics has brought all of their comic series to a close and are relaunching all of their characters with new number ones during the month of September. So we thought we would take a look at Spider-Man's own effort to do the same with his uh, reboot of the series back in late 1998. And I hope that it works for you. We're back to regular format next episode with Amazing Spider-Man 48. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed our little uh, little departure. And I also hope that you're enjoying the uh, the books that DC Comics is putting out. I as this is going out, thir- 14 of the uh, titles have been released, and I enjoyed all of them. Some of them were definitely less stellar than others, but I didn't think there was a bad one necessarily in the bunch. And Action Comics was my standout favorite. So if you are fond of Superman and if you want to see a Superman who is not scared to to kind of rough up some people in order to get them to confess to their wrongdoings, then check out Action Comics number one at the local comic shop or at Hastings. Even if you're new to comics, just you know look up comics on the internet and find out where they're located in your area and go see about getting Action Comics number one. That is a great book. With the uh, gimmick, though, that we've been doing, we didn't get to mention the sponsor for Amazing Spider-Man Classics last episode, so definitely want to give them some attention here. Roll to Play is the uh, funding source for every episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics, and they are located at RollToPlay.com. They are your online source for games and gaming accessories, including a bunch of dice games, which are all 15% off on the site. They have a new Iron Die dice game coming out in November that is looking pretty cool. And they're the, uh, one of the very few stores in Texas that will be carrying it. So uh, if you're not going to be finding this in very many stores, the online is the best way to go, and Roll2Play can help you get your copy. Also, Roll2Play have is a Games for Grunts program where you can make a purchase of any number of games and have them sent to troops overseas to help uh, give them a pleasant time whenever they're off duty. The uh, process for that is that you uh, place an order for whatever games you want to have sent. At the payment screen, you enter Games for Grunts as a discount code. The entire purchase is discounted 20%. You do not pay for shipping, and the uh, all of the orders for the soldiers are sent over in one bulk shipment. Several orders all at one go. So do please consider making an um, order for our soldiers overseas. And that is at Roll2Play.com, all one word, spelled with the number two, which is also what you can input into Facebook if you want to search them out there and like their page. The next episode, we'll be back to regular format with Amazing Spider-Man 48. In the meantime, if you want to send us your emails telling me telling us what you thought of the issues we have covered or what we have said about them. The uh, email address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. And we do read emails pretty regularly on this show. 
Also, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Classics. You can like that page to get updates for new episodes and interact with us there in a less formal environment. We do enjoy talking to our listeners. Also, our every episode is posted at spidermancrawlspace.com, who is a uh, very big supporter of the show. It's an excellent website for all of your Spider-Man news, so do check them out. And, of course, the main website for the show is AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com, where you can look at the show postings, download current or older episodes, which you can also get from iTunes. If you do go to iTunes, we do ask that you leave a review, let other people know why you like or don't like the show, and your reviews will be read on the air, because we do appreciate everyone's kind words there. And I think I'm running out of things to say. I definitely feel like I'm repeating myself, so I'm going to go ahead and sign off now. Uh, See you again in about 10 days for Amazing Spider-Man Classics uh, coverage of the new Vulture coming back to threaten Spider-Man's life. Until then, my name is John Wilson, and thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Good night. so yeah um 13 years later like we could say like yeah they never did resolve that senator ward thing and yeah we never did find out who gave the scorpion his his new makeover and yeah we never did find out half the fucking things in the issue but it's okay it's it's a good issue it's good it's full of setup setup that never fucking got resolved nice that, that whole voice, like, okay, by the way, by the way, because I can't say this during the show, that whole voice that's like, center the ward, this horrible thing that happened. Yeah, they go back and forth throughout Mackey's run. Like, everyone talks about this thing, but never gets so specific to it. Like, Arthur Stacy's like, I know what you did. And then center the ward's like, I know you know what I did. Well, we're going to talk about what you did. Well, what I did is what I did. And then all of a sudden, the Sinister Six, a few issues later, kidnaps Senator Ward. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember what I did. I don't have powers and then his powers manifest he's like oh yeah i do have powers but except like two issues before you didn't you you knew you did god this thing was can fail yeah it's end of 97 early 98 and just to break the fourth wall for a second i'm not trying to be parodying this is exactly the way i felt in 1998 so anyways oh i i i figured (laughs) Um, i don't i don't don't watch it when i was okay dude john wilson like seriously like thinks that south park is inappropriate yeah okay like (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 we all took that at face value Writing the Peter Parker Spider-Man title, doing a Peter remembers Uncle Ben story every single issue. <laughs> he didn't do it every single issue. <laughs> he did like he three. did it enough. <laughs> do they really do that? Do they do? Does that become a thing for this book? Paul Jenkins, yes. There's like Peter and Uncle Ben go to the Mets game. Peter talks to Uncle Ben's grave. Peter remembers building snowmen with Uncle Ben. Peter and Uncle Ben. Peter kisses Uncle Ben's corpse. Peter and Uncle Ben are together forever. <laughs> it becomes a shipper book for Peter and Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs>
it, it because you know like that story that we're gonna cover in web spinners with Gwen. Imagine that, except it's Uncle Ben. Everything that Uncle Ben, <laughs> everything that Uncle Ben did did was perfect, and Uncle Ben always knew the right thing to say. And Uncle Ben was magic, I tell you, magic, you know. <laughs> Hey, 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 I got that last, I got that last story with Uncle Ben and him in, like, in the grave tonight from Comic-Con. That story is awesome, all right? It's it, awesome, but it was every issue. It wasn't every issue. It was, like, it was, it was a recurring, it was a recurring story for Paul Jenkins, but it wasn't every issue. It was, okay, it wasn't every single issue, but, like, it was a, it was more reoccurring than it should have been. It happened more than like three or four times. I will give you that it was because because I think it was uh before, it was before it was around this time where he wrote his first Uncle Ben story, it was the cover with like, Spider Man like like hugging the webs or whatever. So I will give you that like the theme is sort of redundant, but they're they're written well every time. They're written well, but like you can write a good story, but if you write that same good story three or four times, you know it's still the same story three or four times. <laughs> 